Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Conspiracy Farm, where we don't start the conspiracies, we just add the water. And now, your host of the most state-of-the-art, most informed podcast on the interweb, I present to you, Pat Militage and Jeffrey Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for And we are locked and loaded, ladies and gentlemen, for another one. For the archives, the Conspiracy Farm, Jeffrey Wilson rolling shotgun with my good buddy, UFC Hall of Famer, Pat Milicic. How are we doing this fine day, champ? Nobody cares because we have a great guest. Well, we always care how we're doing. Come on. <laughs> no, I, I just want to get to the doctor. I'm I'm excited to talk to this, this uh, gentleman, a uh, super intelligent man that has dissected so many things that, I mean, we want to get his take on it, so I don't want to waste time talking, to be frank. Well, absolutely. I just wanted to be nice and give you a greetings and salutations. Very, My it's goodness. very kind of you. It's very kind of you. Let's move on. He yells at me when I don't <laughs> introduce him, and when I do, he take exception. But he, like he said, we have an amazing guest today. I've been following this gentleman for a very long time. Um, was a little worried about him at the beginning of this summer, man, because he, he wound up popping on the radar, and we're going to talk about it, of uh, Special Counsel Mueller. He is a scholar, an author. Uh, author of a great many of books, most recently Killing the Deep State, and the very most recently is Coup d'etat, Exposing Deep State Treason and the Plan to Re-Elect Donald Trump. Um, I thank him so very much for his time today. I interrupted him from the hearings today that we're going to talk about as well. Dr. Jerome Corsi, how are we doing today, sir? I'm great. Good to be with you, gentlemen. Thank you. Well, thank you. Um, Again, I was... How's your summer been? You've been a little busy, like around springtime, around the beginning of summer. Yeah, things start picking up for you. How, how's things been going for you? Well, I, uh, better all the time. I mean, uh, I, as you know, I was um, I spent 40 hours with the Mueller special prosecutor team, and they ultimately uh, threatened to indict me. They gave me actually a plea deal. They said I was lying to them. Um, I didn't lie. Uh, and, and in fact, I refused their plea deal, and they did not indict me, which meant they had no case. Uh, but the issue was that the Mueller team was convinced that I had worked with Julian Assange and had introduced Roger Stone to Julian Assange. This mm. was part of their collusion theory that Roger Stone, through me, got in contact with Assange and then talking to Donald Trump, the candidate, uh, or the president, they coordinated with um, Assange as to how to release these emails on John Podesta so as to best do damage to Hillary Clinton's campaign, except that it never happened. Hmm. I don't know Assange. I'd never met Assange. First day, I um, forgot some emails, uh, but I did not knowingly and willfully give them information I knew to be false on a material subject to to mislead them. I mean, they're talking about emails I'd written in 2016 that I never gave much thought to, and I just didn't really remember. But they were there, and... Um, I amended my testimony. So when the prosecutor got angry at me and wanted to indict me, they one charge was my unamended testimony, not acknowledging that they'd allowed me to correct the memory mistake, which I did. So I considered it to be entirely fraudulent, and I was not indicted, and I'm glad it's all over. Well, you do, do – I, I could be mistaken. Do you not have a case against uh, Robert Mueller because of yes. all this? Okay. Well, we. I wrote a book in this also, Silent No More. The subtitle is How I Became a Political Prisoner to Mueller's Witch Hunt. And we filed a multi-million dollar lawsuit in federal district court against 
Mueller. Uh, and that's um, right now in the U.S. District Court in Washington. We're waiting for a hearing uh, on whether or not the uh, judge in the case will allow the case to be heard or go along with the government's motion to dismiss. We'll take the court, the case all the way to the Supreme Court if we have to. Uh, I'm convinced the Mueller investigation was a fraud and it, need, and it was politically motivated. For sure. I say that in silent no more, and I show that with the way I was treated in my testimony. I went in to cooperate. I brought in all my computers, my laptops, everything, and, and voluntarily handed them over to the government because I had nothing to hide. And then um, the, they, the prosecutors, Wheeler's team, had this theory that I was the connection to Assange, and they held on to that like a dog chewing a bone. <laughs> they, wouldn't list, they wouldn't let go of it. Well, what did that do? I mean, what did that have to do necessarily with their initial charges of President Trump colluding with Russia? Like, what was the, well, what the, was the, the nexus the, there? The, the case came down to saying that um, Trump, this was the government's uh, theory, that Trump had gotten, gave promises to Russia that if he were elected, he would ease the sanctions on Russia. And in return, Russia would steal these emails and give them to Julian Assange, and uh, through Roger Stone, Donald Trump would get in touch with Assange and collude with Assange as to how to mm. release these emails that Russia had stolen. There, there are several problems. I don't think Russia stole the emails. Right. I know I did not connect Roger Stone to Julian Assange, and uh, Assange didn't seem to need anybody's help as to when he was going to release these emails. He was very adept on his own with using media. And so, therefore, I uh, think the whole government premise was faulty and had no substance to it whatsoever. And obviously, uh, I'm right because the Mueller report yeah. concluded no Russian collusion. Yes. Well, and from from what we've learned, at least you know, to our knowledge, that it sounds like you know the the emails going missing from the DNC and ending up with Julian Assange were an inside job anyway, i.e., Seth Rich potentially. Um, but what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think Seth Rich too, and I, you know, this new book coming out, uh, coup d'état. I, I read a chapter saying that I think it was clearly not the Russians who stole the emails. Julian Assange has said repeatedly that he did not get these stolen Democrat emails from Assange, but yet, you know, you the prosecutors now Nadler, who, who t you know today is going after Corey Lewandowski and yet right. another circus on the impeachment charges. Yeah. And um, it's pathetic because the uh, the Democrats, the, the socialist Democrats do not need truth or don't care about truth. Mm -hmm. They they create narratives. Right. And exactly. the narratives can be false, the most likely are false, but they become a matter of ideological religious creed for the hard, hard left. And um, that's very, very difficult. It should not be that way in American politics because we should be able to have substantive debate and matters of fact and truth should matter. Well, and it gets even more frustrating when it just, this narrative for two years, as we saw, gets reinforced by the mainstream media. Yes, and, the, the, and the, this narrative won't go away because as I write, I, the, I pointed this out, I've been writing a lot on all this and killing the deep state, that this is a matter of a propaganda attack. And in a propaganda attack, uh, it's not based on truth, and you can't refute it by showing the claims of the propaganda are false. So you say, well, there's no, you know, the Mueller 
team, after all this money, all these witnesses, all this investigation, uh, found no Russian collusion. And Nadler says, well, they just didn't look hard enough. <laughs> it's always something, right? Always something. You know, it's there. We know it was collusion. We know that Trump was a Russian spy. But, you know, uh, and we're not interested in any information that Hillary Clinton sold you Uranium One to Russia and the yeah, foundation right. got 140 some million dollars in payment on that. That we don't we don't want to investigate that. We just want to know what Donald Trump, how we can prove Donald Trump is a Russian spy. <laughs> well, even and so, essentially, all of this is a smokescreen and buying themselves time in my mind. And you were simply one of the victims in the way of the train coming at you. I think I think by telling Mueller to take a hike, that I was not going to go along with. You know, they said they put me in jail for the rest of my life. Well, if you know, if I have to stand before a judge and lie, swearing I committed a crime I did not commit, if that's what it takes to stay out of jail in America, I guess they might as well just put me in prison for the rest of my life. That's I mean, that's a thought. Yeah, it is. It's just a scary precedent. And even kind of just going back and speaking about the Seth Rich thing. I mean, you talk about people just ignoring, you know, relevant facts. I mean, they've they've ascertained through basically the digital forensics that it wasn't an online through the Internet uh, hack, if you will. It was a leak through basically a flash drive, a jump drive, something directly into the computer. Is that correct? Yes. I mean, that's certainly a group of experts from the NSA who um, did an analysis and published it. In the Nation, which is not exactly a, you know, conservative publication, and said that the, the analyzing the time in which uh, you know, these various emails were accessed and stolen, the various documents stolen from the Democrats, there was not enough time for it to have been a hack, based on the metadata analysis, and right. you know, so uh, there's good forensic indication, and I, I mean, I just. Julian Assange was quite persuasive to me. I, I don't think Julian Assange has ever lied. Yeah, I don't think he's ever used any release of information that was not validated to have been government secrets that have been legitimate government documents. Right. Julian Assange has a great reputation for telling the truth. And if he said that the emails that were stolen from the Democrats did not come from Russia, I think he ought, ought to be believed, at least prima facie <laughs> on its face. Right. And, you know, to have to prove he's lying. And no one to this point, we had uh, this intelligence community assessment that was negotiated by Clapper and Brennan. Well, the two of them have lied to Congress. You know, I, I distinctly remember yeah. James Clapper as um, head of the as the uh, director of national intelligence telling Congress that uh, the NSA did, quote, not wittingly whatever that means, uh, do any electronic surveillance of U.S. citizens when we know from reports that were made public uh, after Admiral Rogers, who headed the NSA, clamped down on NSA improprieties, that there were massive violations of law with the NSA um, not only collecting information electronically from American citizens, but releasing it inappropriately, including to the White House, uh, in a way that ultimately the names of the U.S. citizens were unmasked or disclosed, and some of them leaked to the press. I mean, these are any number of crimes committed there, and James Clapper is telling Congress, well, he said, well, I, I didn't understand the question. Well, I mean, <laughs> oh my God. Well, ask for a clarification if you don't understand the question. I mean, he said, well, you know, I... 
I, I was trying to tell the truth to the best that you can tell the truth. Well, he could have asked for a session to go classified to answer that question. I mean, the fact is James Clapper lied to Congress and right. yeah. the Department of Justice did not prosecute him for it. You know, and I want to ask you a question on Julian Assange. When he was arrested, uh, Jeff, my co-host, was pretty upset. And I was hoping that he was going to be brought back and and put on trial because I, w I was thinking in my head that the process of the discovery process would end up exposing the DNC, Clinton, Obama, Clapper, Brennan, Mueller, all of them um, in basically, you know, going through all the documentation and showing that that uh, everything they've said is false. Well, I mean, I, I don't know that the government, our government really wants to prosecute Assange. I think the government's got a very, very weak case. Right. Assange was not indicted for anything having to do with 2016. Correct. He was indicted for the 2010 publication of Chelsea Manning's material right. that, you know, right. the army, the army uh, officer who stole cables, et cetera, and, and gave them to Assange. But in 2010, the Department of Justice declined on prosecuting Assange. Assange is protected under Supreme Court decisions on the First Amendment, notably the Pentagon Papers case hmm. that uh, said the Washington Post and the New York Times were allowed to publish the Pentagon Papers, even though they were classified and stolen by Daniel Ellsberg, stolen from the Rand Corporation, you know, copied on a Xerox machine at the time, 1971, and the papers got a hold of them and were allowed to publish them. Well, Julian Assange was publishing classified information. One of the allegations of the government is that he helped steal by giving, you know, doing a breaking a password for Manning so Manning could get more documents. But the record makes it clear that. Assange told Manning they were unable to break the password. Uh, Assange is not a hacker. He is a publisher of stolen material. Right. Well, what are your thoughts? I mean, it's we're into bizarre world. And I don't mean to throw so much out there, but I mean, on its face, you know, going after Michael Cohen, Trump's lawyer and viol violating just completely a tried and true, you know, privilege of attorney client privilege. And then, you know, what happened with Assange, like they literally invaded foreign territory to take him out of there. I just wasn't that just a complete violation of foreign and international law on its face? Well, technically, Assange was arrested because he'd violated uh, his uh, agreement with the government to, on, to surrender himself on a case where he was charged, I believe, in Sweden with a rape, which apparently never happened. Never The rape never occurred. I thought that they, had been dropped. I thought they dropped No, that. well, the, the, the case was dropped. But see, under British law, Assange, instead of uh, appearing in court, went into hiding in the Ecuadorian embassy. So he, as it were, like violated his um, a court order to appear and surrender himself in that trial okay. for the... Okay, so... It's very technical. I mean, that, yeah, but yet, always. And in fact, Assange has now served his time on that <laughs> violation, a technical violation. And the British courts have now decided they're still going to incarcerate Assange because he's a flight risk and the, um, the extradition proceedings are yet going on. So they don't want to let Assange go where he could run out of the country and uh, prohibiting uh, the United States from being able to extradite him. I'm not sure the United States is going to even win the extradition proceedings. And if they do, they're going to bring Julian Assange back here. Julian Assange has got a very good case.
And I'm not sure the government can win the case that they brought against Assange. Assange is a journalist, and is, is the indicting of Assange, I think, threatens any of us who are working as journalists yeah. or in any way to produce news or get information out. Well, that and that's scary because you brought up, you know, the Pentagon Papers and Daniel Ellsberg. I mean, we would never would have known about like things like the My Lai massacre, et cetera. And even though, like you said, it was classified information, he never was prosecuted for it. But what I mean, what's changed now? Well, you know, they, we're seeing we're seeing, yeah. you know, obviously through NDAA, they're able to utilize propaganda in the American people. They're demonizing truth tellers like Julian Assange. So it's like people who are trying to tell the truth and speak truth to power now that's illegal. Well, the um. The Myelai Massacre was not revealed by the Pentagon Papers. That came from the um, oh, my bad. journalism, a very well-known journalist. His name is escaping me right at the second. I can think of it in a minute, but very, very famous journalist. And um, but the Pentagon Papers showed that uh, from the very beginning of the Vietnam War, Lyndon Johnson and, and Secretary McNamara knew that um, – the case that the war could not be won the way they were fighting it. And, um, and yet that we allowed 50,000 men and women to go to their deaths in Vietnam on a fraud war, uh, fraudulently sold to the American people and not fought. So it could be won. Now the hard left, the Democrats, the socialists at that time, um, wanted the Pentagon papers released and published by the New York Times and the Washington Post because it was exposing Richard Nixon, who continued to fight the war despite running for president, saying he would end the war. And um, they were going against the Republican president in an unpopular war. Today, the hard left, the deep state, as I've been calling them recently, is uh, wants, to pr- wants to punish Assange because releasing these Emails from the Democrats exposed Hillary Clinton and John Podesta, who were the darlings of the socialist hard left. So it's political. Mm. The hard left is really comes out on questions not for principled reasons, but for political reasons, yes. which which side of the road they're fighting an issue depends on how they'll argue principle. Because I pointed out early earlier, principle does not mean much to the ideologically <laughs> right. hard left socialists. No, it doesn't. Well, in the world today, and we talk about it all the time on this show, going back to your Gulf of Tonkin or incubators being pushed over or WMDs, we just never see any accountability when it comes to this stuff. And here we are with literally a coup against a sitting president, even before he was president. And for me, I'm waiting for it all to play out. I know the whole queue and waiting for the storm and trusting the plan. But it's like Comey just walked. Peter Strzok and Page, Lisa Page are still out. You know, McCabe is still I mean, no, I'm, I'm just not seeing any accountability for something that was so, so egregious. And then individuals like you or Michael Cohen or 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 Manafort, you know, they're doing print, not you. But I mean, just indicted on, on charges having nothing to do with this collusion. But yet the main players of this game are walking free and people are wondering, like yourself, Bob Barr, is he going to do anything? Is he deep state? You know, we're all waiting for this with bated breath for something to happen. Hillary's still out there, knowing what those basically, emails are. Basically, that if it doesn't, if nothing happens, then we've all been played, is what we're saying. Well, the, by the way, the reporter's name was Seymour Hirsch. I was going to say, I thought it was okay. exposed the the Mylai massacre. Right. Um, the look, the I, I, we're all wondering about Barr if he's going to um, get any indictments, and if there's no indictments of these coup d'état criminals, 
uh, from the Hillary Clinton crowd. Um, the American public are not going to have confidence in the justice system um, ever no, again. No, no. It's going to be a severe damage to the justice system. Now, I'm hopeful that the decision of Barr and the Justice Department to um, prosecute Andrew McCabe is an indication that the next Horowitz report is going to have uh, a conclusions that the four FISA applications to get electronic surveillance on Carter Page were illegal. Yeah. And if that's the case, then McCabe is facing far more severe charges than simply lying to the federal investigators, which are the charges in the that separate report of some 78 or so pages that was released on McCabe um, about a year ago. At any rate, it's slow and it's it's frustratingly so. So, yes, but I it is. I, I say in this new book, coup d'état. I I actually say this in Killing Deep State. I predicted I wrote Killing Deep State in 2017, and I said there'll be three phases. First phase will be Mueller uh, fails to find any collusion or obstruction. That's happened. So the second phase would be that um, there's going to be a Trump counterattack. The Trump counterattack is going to bring to justice these uh, criminals who were engaged in a coup d'etat. This was an attempt to take over uh, the presidency illegally by a treasonous conspiracy. Um, and it included the highest levels of our justice system and intelligence system. And they were working in conjunction with foreign intelligence, notably with British intelligence. And um, the third phase, which I said will second phase of these indictments and cases beginning will take all the way up until election dates, you know, November and 2020. But by that time, phase three will have kicked in. And that is the American public will have had enough time and enough will have been revealed where the American public conclude that it was a treasonous conspiracy. And at the top of that conspiracy were Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama as conspirators. Jeez, what a, what a, what a freaking gift that would be. What a pre-Christmas <laughs> gift. But I mean, honestly, and I don't, I, I, Pat knows me better than you, obviously, good doctor. I'm just cynical, man. The world has made me a cynical human being. All these different assassinations and coup d'etats and changing of elections and Hillary selling uranium. I just, I want to see it happen more than anybody. But is that, I mean, really, Obama? Are we going to see these perp walks to Gitmo like we've been promised from so many different avenues? Well, Hil Hillary and and. And Obama, is that possible? Uh, it's very possible. And I think it, whether or not, what's going to ultimately be how they're adjudicated. Uh, but I think, you know, I'm not sure whether we're going to really follow through with convicting a former president and secretary of state of treason. But could I think they, the American people are going to be demanding it. Could they at any rate, impeach a former president? Well, uh, Nixon was not impeached. Nixon resigned. Clinton right. was impeached. Because right, impeachment I, refers to bringing it to uh, a vote in the House to bring it to trial in the Senate. That's the impeachment. Right. Right. The trial is the removing of the president from office. And Clinton uh, was not convicted in the Senate trial. So he was impeached but not removed from office. Right. And what I'm saying is I think different today is I think that the um, this whole controversy over Donald Trump and Donald Trump's presidency, I think, has been significant because so many millions of Americans are finally waking up. The Democrats and the hard left went so 
apoplectic. I mean, they went insane when Hillary lost. But they've now come right out and shown the American people that all these candidates running on the Democratic side for president are socialists. And one can't out-socialize the other. I mean, even Bernie Sanders is is having to promise more free stuff than he planned on just to keep his position as the old socialist in the group. Yeah. You know, Beto wants to confiscate your guns. Um, Kamala Harris wants to... Um, have abortions on demand, even late-term abortions, and if the baby survives and you don't want it, let it die uh, or kill it. I mean, you know, even there's even the case where Barack Obama, I wrote about this in Abomination, the case with the nurse Jill Stanek, and the, it was debated in the Chicago Senate when he was a Senate legislator in Illinois, where a baby was born, survived an abortion attempt, and uh, Obama argued on the floor of the Illinois Senate that the mother had a right to have the baby die. They put the baby into, um, they threw the baby basically away in a, I believe, among some dirty linens or something. They left the baby to die. This nurse found the baby and um, tried to comfort the baby until the baby did die. It was, and, you yeah. know, that's infanticide to me. That's murder. It is, absolutely, 100%. You can't. You can't slice it any other way. No, it's like hearing that uh, this summer that I think it was a Virginia governor on the radio station of like, yeah, we'll we'll you know the baby can be born, the the mom can consult with the doctor. We'll keep the baby comfortable after they're born, and we're going to have a discussion before we kill it. Essentially, paraphrasing was what that conversation was about legalizing infanticide. And, yeah, it, and I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I mean, as this, the American people see this, and the average person is going to say that's insane. I mean, I think. Late-term abortion is essentially murder because the Absolutely. baby could survive, and you go in there and you brutally cut up the fetus Oof. and destroy it. It's obviously a living creature, and um, you know I think it's murder. And late-term abortion it has to be very, very exceptional circumstances for it to be justified. Uh, the health of the mother being, I think, for me, probably the only real consideration that would mean you could even consider a late-term <clears throat> abortion. But at any rate, the uh, all the I look all the LGBT agenda. Well, now now we're being told that you know gender is self-determined. So there's maybe I don't know hundred hundred genders. Are there a million agendas? Right. How many? Every per three hundred and seventy-five million different sexes in the United States, depending upon what somebody thinks they are. Yeah, yeah. That's what happened madness. to men. What happened to men and women? And so you know you <clears> hear this, then you hear. Well, we're going to uh, tax all these. We're going to not have cars. We're not going to have cows. We're uh, not going to have plastic straws. I mean, who wants to live in a world <laughs> run by these people? Yeah. Well, and then you have Orte or, or uh, AOC, like, you know, I'm not going to have a kid for a while because I don't want to keep messing up the planet, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it is on its face insane. But kind of going back to just the, the Mueller and the collusion, we've all, like I said, just been waiting. And I'm, again, frustrated. You know, what got me started on all this conspiracy stuff, Doctor, was the JFK assassination, like a many of people. And, you know, the Warren Commission was just a sham. It was the Fox investigating who got into the hen house, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, like the left, they're like, all right, well, you wait till Mueller gets up on and testifies in front of Congress. And Mueller looked terrible. He looked like an old, clueless old man that didn't even know some of the key aspects of all of this. Yeah, I thought that was a good act. Was it, do you think that that's what it was? I mean, because I was just like, what's it was scary to me. I'm like, whoa, you guys are all hinging your bets on this 
guy. Well, you got you got two alternatives. One, he really is that uh, gone in his mind and old and infirm, which in which case he should not have been running the investigation. Or two, he knew that crimes had been committed in the investigation. It would be just better if he didn't remember very much. When he was like, I can't talk about this. I, I can't talk latter, about this. I can't talk about that. The, two, the latter of the two seems very likely. And I yeah. I just see I just see the, you know, right now in, in my head, there are litmus tests out on Trump. I know that the jury is still out for Jeffrey as far as Trump goes. Um, will these people be prosecuted as one of the litmus tests? And one of the other major litmus tests on Trump is, is he going to bite on, you know, these what we consider potentially false flag attacks by Iran on oil tankers, on pipelines, and now on Saudi Arabian refineries. Well, um, is, is it going to end up hitting Iran? You know, that's it's a little worrisome. Well, I, I think from what is, he's done so far, um, and certainly, uh, you know, I was, I've was i been on many shows on this since I wrote Atomic Iran in 2005. Uh, Trump is not anxious to go to war. He said very clearly yesterday right. he doesn't want to be in war with anybody. And I think that's true. I mean... The problem is right now what's working is the sanctions, and Iran is being, for the first time under Trump, squeezed to where the internal politics threaten the mullahs, this radical Islamic regime, can, remaining in power in Iran. And that what Iran is doing is they're trying to force somebody to attack them. Now, on the attack on the oil fields, which just occurred, uh, I think Trump's reaction is appropriate. One is he's not left to judgment to say it was Iran, although I think everybody with you know half a brain understands that it, Iran was behind the attack. But secondly, uh, it's Saudi Arabia was hit. And if Saudi Arabia wants to do a military response, we'll support them logistically. But you know we're not going to be anxious to go attack Iran. It doesn't solve anything. Attacking Iran just creates sympathy for the regime allows them to portray us as the aggressors. And, um, you know, they, what Iran is trying to do is to be the victim here. So let's not hand it to them too easily. Right. Well, I mean, what, how, what is not, it, how, does it beho- how does it behoove them? I mean, I'm not say- doubting what you're saying, they, they attacked it, but it's just like it seems we're itching and the neocons are itching to go to war over there. Why would, why would Iran just kind of give them what they want in this risk, risk getting glass parking lotted or just turned into a, you know, like Iraq? What's the well, benefit? The, the whole Iranian psychology, which is, you know, thinking there has to be this apocalypse before their Mahdi, their savior, their Messiah comes out of the well and Shiite Islam triumphs over Sunni Islam, which is really their fundamental gripe, uh, even more so than hating Jews, which they and hating us. They hate Sunnis. At any rate, uh, the Iranians feel that chaos and conflict work in their favor. I mean, it's the same kind of uh, methodology as Saul Linsky or the mm. communists, that the more conflict, the more chaos. I mean, it's almost satanic. If you can't win, at least cause massive violence and confusion and kill people and have horrible things happen and, you know, nuclear bombs dropped and all kinds of other, because that's at least better than having well, God that, that win seems or like having... What, that seems like what we've been doing. You know, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, funding ISIS, the MEK well, now Saudi, in Iran. The Saudis, well, the, the look, Saudis have certainly funded enough it, terrorists to... The to point is, let's just talk about Trump. Trump so far has not expanded any war. Right. 
and he has refrained is from going into wars. And I've, I've, that's been my policy and has been for quite a while. Uh, I'm not a neocon. I don't agree with John Bolton on this. I right. think John Bolton this is, is over here. Yeah. You know, I think John Bolton is just wrong on this. I mean, yes, uh, Iran is extremely dangerous. And uh, these mullahs who, you know, have imposed on Iran a foreign religion, the original Persians were Zoroastrian. They weren't Muslims. Very true. And, um, you know, the language spoken by, you know, they're, they're Arabic. I mean, you know, you're, you're not dealing with Farsi, which, of course, the mullahs speak Farsi, but I'm saying the language of Islam has traditionally been Arabic because it is a Arabian religion and its roots. When obviously Zoroastrianism, that goes back to biblical times and Islam didn't yes, come around until like the fourth century or whatever it was. But, but what it you, continued. I mean, You'll still find Zoroastrians sure. in, in Iran. But my point is this. The, my point is that uh, war in the Middle East is the problem. It's not the solution. You know, it, it's yeah. Israel's got to be prepared to defend itself. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, even the countries have repeatedly gone to against war against Israel have largely concluded it's a waste of time. And that's including Egypt and it's including Saudi Arabia. Right. If Turkey could ever get this idea in its head, instead of Erdogan going more and more over to the radical side of Islam, if you had Turkey joining forces, Iran could be countered just simply within the region on the basis of Sunni Shiite politics. Because the last thing that um, the Saudis want is to see Iran exp expand its influence in Iraq and then to take a, a, you know, a, a grip hold on Lebanon with Hezbollah mm. and to support Hamas in the Gaza. You know, the Hezbollah is Shiite. Iraq is three. It's it's these and the Kurds, Shiite, Sunni, and Kurd. Mm. And, um, you know, this was all the Saudi, this the Syria issue was, again, the Shiites in Iran and also with the Houthis in Yemen. Right. The Iran is supporting them against Saudi Arabia because Iran is, remember, had fought like a 10-year war in the 80s against Iraq, against Saddam Hussein. They're itching to fight a war against the Saudis. And, you know, the Saudis may launch a retaliatory strike on, on Iran's oil. Now, Iran just wants chaos. And um, if Saudi Arabia decides they want to attack Iran, that's a, a national security issue that's, that the Saudis have to decide for themselves. And I would advise President Trump to stay out of it. So you don't yeah. think, I mean, anymore, it seems like warfare, I mean, you just don't, I mean, obviously we're in a huge war, bombs, et cetera, et cetera, but it seems like a lot of more engagement of asymmetrical warfare, be it economic or covert operations is taking place in place of more symmetrical warfare. Do you give any credence or do you, do you um, lend any credence to people who say, you know, countries like a, like a Israel are engaging in kind of black ops covert operations to create a certain sentiment uh to, you know and blame on certain other countries that you know that's happened historically you know do something you know, false flags essentially to blame on other countries I, I don't see any basis for that with israel i mean israel i've spent you know i've worked reporting on and uh, talking to you know being in israel knowing the government knowing the people who are involved um israel has of course as we do an active intelligence service and as we do, they have the capability of doing um, undercover operations. 
And I don't doubt that they have done some. But the point is that they're not doing them to create false flags. And, you know, if there were false flags, you go back to the Tonkin Gulf and how Lyndon Johnson manipulated it. Yeah, right. You know, that, that's a false flag. But um, I don't see that um, Donald Trump uh, is engaging in any of those activities. Right now, what no. Iran well, is think... doing, what Iran is doing is Iran supporting surrogates in the region who will cause chaos and war and expand terrorism because Iran views that this chaos is in their ultimate advantage. And the Europeans will come to appease Iran, say, if you'll just stop doing this, we'll give you money. I mean, how much money did Barack Obama ship in, in on pallets and cargo planes to Iran? That's well, where... That's where this, in my mind, leads to partially. We're not thinking in any way, shape, or form that Trump's administration is part of the false flag operation. We're thinking it could be very easily uh, deep state and and past administration actors who were the people that sent those pallets of money, and now people, including the mullahs and generals, possibly have to take a few orders from the globalists. That's all we're saying. I well, think. I mean, first of all, the uh, Obama administration with John Kerry and John Brennan were uh, outright in their support of Iran. This didn't require any false flag or hidden message. I mean, John John Brennan went through the entire justice and intelligence apparatus of the United States and removed any reference to radical Islam as terrorists. The terrorists right. under the uh, Obama administration were white supremacists. That's where this started. And, you know, the, the white supremacists in the United States, are, I, I'm sure there are some, but... They're no, they're no force the same way that radical Islam is a force in terms of violence or Iran. I, I, and I haven't even met any of them. I've, I've never met one either. I mean, <laughs> David Duke or whomever. I mean, the average American is is not racially motivated. I mean, when I grew up in the 50s, the Democrats were the racists. The Democrats were the ones who were segregationists. The Democrats were the ones who were the slaveholders going back to the Civil War. But, you know, you watch... Spielberg's movie on Lincoln, and you don't realize that the, the the congressmen and senators who are pushing for the what 13th Amendment, those are the Republicans. Right, right, right. The Democrats the in there right. who are opposing it. That's never made clear in the movie because uh, Spielberg wanted to portray Lincoln as, a, as a, Obama as a Lincoln figure, which was a joke. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, you know, the the tilt toward Islam, the destabilizing of Egypt, um, Mubarak, the, uh, the killing of Gaddafi, the yeah. Arab Spring, the imposition of the Muslim Brotherhood all through the Middle East, the Muslim Brotherhood's increasing influence within the U.S. government under Obama. Uh, culturally, Obama was clearly tilted towards Islam. There's no doubt about it. And um, he, he telegraphed that clearly. Uh, and it's it's shocking to me how much the Democratic Party has turned against Israel, and it just seems to me that that's unfounded because Israel, uh, you know, no country is perfect, but Israel is a ally and a country that is is run by democratic principles in the Middle East, and we need all the allies of the Middle East we can get, and I, you know, from my own perspective, biblically, I think there is good support for um, viewing Truman's decision in 1948 as biblically determined that the um, Jews would return to 
um, Israel and create this new country, Israel, and that once the Jews were back, they would never be gone. Well, there's certainly probably going to be some comments and, you know, probably some debate. You know, Israel, no country is perfect. But, I mean, the upholding of democratic principles when they're doing some of their things, some of these things of bulldozing houses and things that's going on in the West Bank and Palestine. I I, I just I'm on Israel's side. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm just saying I just I think we need to be intellectually honest when we talk about like us going over, you know, Iran's causing chaos. I get it. But we're also been funding ISIS in Syria. Benghazi, you know, the what happened, we just had on uh, uh, Chris Chris um, Chris Peranto, who was one of the surviving SEALs in Benghazi, and he was frustrated as hell with these standout orders. Like, why can't we go in and save these guys? Again, we're talking about Obama, and Obama was clearly on the side. Uh, Hillary invited these jihadis into Lebanon to destabilize Lebanon. Right. And not Lebanon, I'm sorry, Libya, and to kill Gaddafi. They they sided with this, Obama sided with this UN resolution, you know, that we are just to protect the innocent. We have a right to invade a country. Right. You know, I mean, it's... And, it, and Peranto, at least, you know, Chris Peranto confirmed that we were running weapons through Libya. I mean, he There's no doubt about it. I mean, look, yeah. Hillary Clinton was running, that's what the Mark Turry case was all about. Right. Hillary Clinton was, you know, illegally shipping weapons through Libya in uh, through Turkey to get them to the ISIS and other Al Qaeda elements or Al Qaeda related elements in Syria. And let me ask, let me ask. And, your, and your John oh, and ahead. John McCain was in the middle of that too, supporting. Yeah, absolutely, me. yes, he was. And let me ask, you know, when Reagan was, uh, you know, propping up the Mujahideen in in Afghanistan to fight the Russians and run the run the Soviet Union out of money and collapse the Soviet Union, which I think was a great thing to do, although, you know, it, it came back to bite us. I think this is a totally different, this is a totally different game and, and a, a whole new level of uh, planning and, and evil intentions in terms of arming ISIS and al-Nusra and some of these other terrorists in Syria and other areas. Well, I mean, right now you've got a whole situation in, where the American left has embraced Islam. And I think uh, Horowitz is right. This is kind of an unholy alliance where the um, uh, radical Islamists going back to Ayatollah Khomeini in 79 started embracing communist principles. And the socialists on the left have embraced the radicals uh, of Islam, ignoring all the obvious issues with regards to women and abuse of women simply because, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so they both are anti-American. The American left is anti-American today. Uh, The American left wants to rewrite the Constitution, wants to end free speech, uh, and the globalists are on the side and increasingly in the open supporting these anti-American positions. In Great Britain, they're debating a law which will essentially criminalize any criticism of uh, Islam, which is essentially writing Sharia law principles into British law right. so that it, Islam will be beyond reproach and you'll be a, considered a criminal if you do criticize any aspect of So Islam. much for the Magna Carta. Well, that seems well, to be I, happening all throughout Europe. I mean, you get you get in trouble for denying the Holocaust or saying, I mean, that's that seems to be kind of systemic as far as stifling, you know, political well, I mean, free denying, speech. Denying the, the Holocaust, denying the Holocaust is another whole 
historical issue because it traces back to, you know, the supporting of Nazism and things of that right. nature. Yeah. And I think that I, I think certain of these aspects, you know, I, I don't know that I would imprison someone for right. denying the Holocaust, but I do think it's appropriate to um, point out the, you know, the the historically right. factual nature of the Holocaust mm, and to true. insist that the history, you know, going back to what I said at the very beginning, uh, I think facts and history do matter in these debates. And when the debates get ideologically driven, you know, what we have now is that Hillary and the crowd and the left would like to imprison or put in thought reform the deplorables. We're not just <laughs> we deplorables, we're, we're thought criminals. Yes. And I think once we cross that line, you know, I, I think facts matter can be used in a debate, whether you want to debate the climate issues or whatever. Right. And um, you don't become, you shouldn't be in prison because you have these beliefs. Uh, if you look at the First Amendment cases, uh, you know, one of the ones I always liked the best was a case called Whitney v. U.S., which Judge, Judge Brandeis decided, I believe, in the 20s. And he said, you know, there's got to be a whole set of circumstances before someone's prosecuted for giving a speech. You know, if you give a speech and say, I think we should have a revolt against the United States, a communist revolution, and nobody's listening to you, you're a nutcase on some park bench. Right. Or if you've got an organization that's preparing to do it, and it's imminent that you could succeed, these are two different circumstances. And the one right. should be allowed under free speech. And mm -hmm. the second may be uh, charged under insurrection or inciting violence, yeah. inciting violence or something of that nature. But again, uh, I'm very much in, you know, believing that we need a robust First Amendment, a robust yes. Second Amendment, yes. a robust Fourth Amendment. And um, I'm in general very suspicious of, of government activity, regardless of who is in power. Well, and journalists, and need to be able to do, journalists need to be able to do their work without the worry of imprisonment as well. I mean, it becomes a very slippery slope you know we've seen you know if, you, if you're a fan of jordan peterson anybody you go to these college campuses and one of these antifa or these anti-fascist individuals like i don't like what you're saying so you can't exercise your free speech on our college campus like that is just straight bs well it's a, it's an infringement of the first amendment that's beyond the pale yeah and you know these are the the ideologically driven left is um doesn't want the first amendment because they don't want the argument. They don't want to be criticized. They don't want the argument to be examined. They can only win if the argument stays ideologically driven. They lose on fact bases. I mean, the fact is that the earth is not warming up. The fact is that CO2 levels are not at dangerous levels historically, and the earth is inherently an unstable place. I mean, it, you know, the great ice ages didn't recede because there were little cavemen with their little fires or hydrocarbon <laughs> fires in, inside caves right the the sun you know big big news to the um, this whole global warming climate change crowd is that earth is heated by the sun sun heats earth and when the sun cools off which it is right now yes. we're probably going into a cooling period right yeah now. we're in a solar minimum right now and we're entering a mini ice age by the honest scientists you know words and, and do you think because of that because we are going into the cooling and they've in, they've embraced and invested so much into this global warming that they're going to engage in what we know through government documents it happens is terraforming or weather modification or geoengineering to warm the planet 
all those things are George Carlin did a comic routine in the seventies. And he said, you know, we, as humans exaggerate, he was very funny about it. He said, we're like, we're like fleas to the earth. You know, we're a nuisance. Right. We don't really make any impact on the earth's climate. These forces are, you know, they can do all the geoengineering they want to do, and it's not going to really produce much effect because it's going to be insignificant in terms of the magnitude of the forces that drive the earth. Interesting. I mean, you know, can you imagine how much forces involved in a, one of these hurricanes? I mean, just take a look at the massive amount of force that we, we don't have the ability to, to create that kind of force. Now, wait a minute, doctor. Yeah, um, we, we've had, we've had 150 <laughs> hurricanes since 1850. And the last one was due to climate change. Yeah. Right. I doubt that. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the point is this, the of earth course, is inherently is the earth is inherently unstable. The earth has gone through many, many different periods. Uh, in New Jersey, where I live, the most uh, common um, any kind of relic or fossil that you can pick up fossils are shark's teeth. Well, there's no big ocean or lake over New Jersey now, but there was. You know, the earth is inherently very, Yeah, very chaotic. Well, I don't want to keep you too much longer. I promise you about 30, 40 minutes. We've gone a little bit over, but I do want to ask you this. This is breaking news. The Justice Department sues Edward Snowden over publication of new memoir. The government argues the book violates the nondisclosure agreements. It says Snowden signed with the CIA and NSA. Comment on that? Well, I mean, again, the government is just trying to, and this is, you know, the deep state. Trump does not have control yet over all these operatives. I'll give you my suggestion on that in a minute, but the government's just trying to prevent Snowden with his new book, which is about to be put on, delivered, uh, from exposing again to the American people the vast amount of illegal surveillance of the population that's being done by our intelligence agencies who are rampant into the abuse. I think you can assume that all of our electronic communications are being recorded. And... Um, you know, my solution to the deep state, it, I was very pleased to see the Department of Agriculture starting to move some of its divisions out of Washington. I'd say put the um, Department of Agriculture somewhere in the middle of Kansas or Iowa, put the um, State Department in Nome, Alaska, and relocate the IRS <laughs> to the Mojave Desert and, and see how many of these bureaucrats want to move. Dr. Jerome Corsi has a sense of humor, ladies and gentlemen. I like it. Well, and another thing, you know, when we talk about Trump being a white hat, and I, believe me, I want to believe that. I do. I think I think the, the crimes that have been engaged in, whether it's political crimes, money laundering, trading in guns and arms and people and body parts, et cetera, et cetera, there's got to be some accountability. So please, if you don't mind, give me your opinion on this phenomenon we know as QAnon. Is it legit? Is it hope porn? I'd call it hope porn because I always nothing ever happens. But is this is this real? Is something going to come of this? Well, I broke ways with it. I think initially there was something to it. And I had, you know, some pretty good indications there was something to it. But at some point or other, uh, it, it got hijacked and taken over. I mean, it became, uh, they started attacking me or anyone who wanted to make money, you know, and uh, doing doing this for a living. You know, right. I don't know how you're supposed to survive if you don't have any income. Right, right. But at any rate, um, and they became repetitive, you know, constantly promising this was going to happen and yes. that was going to happen. And it never happened. 
uh, I've been saying from the beginning that uh, I have confidence uh, in God and that enough people praying for justice that we will get justice. But it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be fast. That's why I say it's going to take three phases. And I think we're seeing now the Democrats are out in the open as socialists who hate America. And Nadler today with his hearing in Lewandowski is reinforcing that point. Right. Uh, I think the letting these people, one of the things I've been most pleased about is to see this exposed. And I mean, when you look at what the Obama administration was doing with, you know, Saul Linsky exploiting these Ferguson shootings, um, you know, and demonizing police with uh, Fast and Furious, uh, with the shipping of weapons to the terrorists in the Arab Spring and Benghazi. I mean, all these things are just to me so enormously criminal by the government. And, uh, you know, the out of control spending that we're doing. I mean, we are at a point where without Donald Trump, if if it had been Hillary Clinton or if a a socialist gets in again, uh, I think the United States is at a precarious point whether or not we will have freedom. But I think that if Donald Trump wins re-election. I don't, Donald Trump's by no means perfect. He's not a, but I have watched him for 40 years. And I always have said about Donald Trump, he always looks like he's going to lose until just before he wins. And he does come out with, you know, the strategies. I mean, look at how the, the dealing with China and the dealing with Mexico has the potential to just say to China, you know, we're, we're not going to do a deal with you if it's a bad deal. Uh, walking away from Kim Jong-un, I mean, you know, sure, go talk to the guy. But if the guy's not, say, we're leaving. Pack up your bags and leave town. Walk away Trump from a bad did. deal. Yeah. yeah, Walk away from a bad deal. And Trump is not going to, uh, even with Bolton, who I'm sure was in there with hard lines on everything. And Trump, after a while, said, well, let Bolton give his hard line. But, you know. We can't go attack everybody. We can't be, we're not going to solve all the problems of the world. We, you know, George Washington was right. Our, our primary responsibility is to maintain freedom and economic success in this country. Right. But you have, I mean, it seems like you have globalists in so many, in Wisconsin, so many of these different countries. It seems like that agenda seems to transcend, you know, sovereignty of a given country, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I think they're all going to fail. I think that Great I agree. Britain is looking to pull out of the EU. I'm hoping the Brexit movement succeeds. It looks to me like um, Italy is catching on to the EU. The EU is going to have a very hard time staying together. Brazil elected a a Trump-like president. Around the world, I think people are catching on to that socialism is a lie. It's an evil lie. And, um, you know, the Venezuelas are all that socialism has ever produced. And Americans, I don't think, want to live under that. Now, we've still got to understand that we have created a massive social welfare state by the Democrats incrementally getting more and more benefits to people. And this has got to be rolled back uh, because we just cannot, we're, you know, we cannot afford to pay all the contingent liabilities that have been created. Well, and that goes uh, for and- corporate welfare, too, I have to say. I mean, that's a lot of that. I mean, that's just coming out of our pocket as well. Well, I mean, you know, the whole tax system should be reconsidered. There's no, there's no tax scheme in the Constitution at all, right? Except for um, putting tariffs on other goods coming into the United States. 
Well, that's why I always found fascinating when I was researching about the income tax. I mean, that was found unconstitutional so many times in different Supreme Court decisions. Then all of a sudden, you know, 1913, along with the Federal Reserve Act, it, you know, becomes law. Well, you had Woodrow Wilson in there. You had another, yeah. you know, globalist in there. And so, but I think the American people and the world are waking up to, you know, the globalism, the lots of issues, the Satanism, which I think is, you know, gone along with the hard left. Uh, this has all got to be exposed and, and put down. But, you know, the United States ha is the last chance I think the world has to establish a government, you know, is based on Roman law, Roman principles, um, Aristotle, the Greeks in terms of balanced government and studying constitutions. We've got a constitution that is inherently suspect of government. And the, the globalists who want to control the world and all the rest of it end up, I think, being exposed that they're the ones who want to be the oligarchs living in the mansions <laughs> while nobody else has anything. Yeah. And they'll lie to everybody in, in terms of social justice, which they don't, I think, have any intention of fulfilling. Um, and is not even necessarily a goal. Yes, we should want, we should seek social justice, but to make everybody equal it is inherently impossible. We're all born to different families with different abilities and different techniques in different places at different times. So we're not all equal and they're never going to be all equal. And that's just, you know, some fundamental facts of human nature, which um, the hard left not believing in God thinks that they can change at their will. And it's just not possible to do. Human nature is inherently uh, something that's subject to failure. It's subject to right. sin. It's subject to, evil and governments and systems have to be designed knowing that human beings cannot be perfected well and right. you know we we do have probably one of the most perfect documents with the u.s constitution and under that law we have more freedoms i think than anywhere in the country but for me it make and i know pat too it's very disconcerting when you still see whether trump or whoever's in office when you still see Whatever it was designed for, something like a Patriot Act still in play, something like NDAA 1 and 2, which allows for the indefinite detention of Americans and potential assassination of Americans and propaganda being legal on American citizens. This was all so disconcerting to me under the U.S. Constitution. So I think we need to find a way to resolve you know, having this amazing document and actually starting to put some teeth into it when it relates to so many of these things that violated these these wars and you know, all of this that we've discussed today. Well, there needs to be accountability. Had, yeah. We've always had it. I mean, Abraham Lincoln in fighting the Civil War suspended habeas corpus. Right. Imprisoned uh, journalists. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, the, uh, you go back to any historical. We had the Espionage Acts in World War One and World War Two. We put in, in 1913, the Federal Reserve System. I mean, all these things that yeah. you know, Congress and historic mistakes that have been made, which take a long time to rectify. But we have a chance right now, hopefully, to have a revival in belief in God and a revival in fundamental values in the Constitution, because I think the left has gone so insane to show who it really is. Very true. And if Trump has done anything, he's uh, brought out the Nadlers and these others who are— Exposed you know, them. Yes. And got them exposed themselves. Yeah. Well, and that's what that's what this extreme left has done too. I mean, they literally. I mean, when you hear AOC or the Squad or Antifa or any of this, it's like, wow, this is just on its face insane. And going to Antifa, and I'm going to let you go after this one question. Um, 
the future. You know, more people are waking up. But as we, the old school cats who understand the rule of law, fade away, are they weaponizing the youth, this next generation of voters to be more socialist, to embrace illegal immigration, which is just weaponizing a, you know, a voting block, et cetera, et cetera, more lack of free speech, all of these different things that move toward this kind of socialist authoritarian way of life. Do you think they're kind of gearing the kids for that? Well, I think, you know, the, clearly that's the entire intent from Bill Ayers on and the socialists is to take hold of the schools and indoctrinate the kids. Now, they've done that to a large extent in the colleges. But I think one of the things that happens, and again, it's the exposing to reality as these millennials get out and are not finding the jobs that they were promised, right. are learning that, you know, I mean, companies are hesitant to hire millennials, what are they going to come in to do and police your plastic straw policy? I mean, you really, you're trying to run a business here. You're getting, you're hiring these guys that are worried about LG. They're painting rainbows on all your buildings. I mean, you know, is this why I hired you? Right. You know, right. and so these are the kinds of things that are uh, reality is this millennial generation gets older and more of the corruption than these universities, which are just greed machines. Yeah, that are fueled by government by Obama nationalizing the tuition programs. Um, you know, these are things that have got to be stopped. And it comes back to money, and it comes back to a socialist agenda. We're always going to be fighting these socialist agendas. We're always going to be fighting something because I think our founders were right that you know America's values, liberty, can be lost in any given generation. Yeah, right. And the, I, the one coming up has the potential to lose it too. I will say this, though. My daughters, my two oldest daughters are in high school, and their entire class is in a pretty big high school here in Iowa. And I will say that literally almost the entire class are conservatives because of what they have seen the millennials do and implode uh, themselves and make themselves look like fools. And, and all these kids in high school across the nation who are the next generation after the millennials are watching these idiots and going, I don't want anything to do with that. So they, they will— they will be the biggest generation of conservatives this nation has ever seen. Well, and as the millennials age, you know, histor traditionally, historically, across human experience, uh, people are more to the left when they're young, and they get more to the right as they get older. <laughs> What, is, what do they say? The if, you're, if you're not a if you're not a liberal when you're young, you're heartless, and if you're not if you're not a conservative when you're older, you're brainless. Yeah, I mean that's that's uh, pretty much an old saying, and. Um, yeah, it's been attributed to different people. But the point is, it's true in this generation facing, you know, through college, many of these kids are protected. They're coddled. They don't have to deal with fundamental <laughs> issues. They're not worried about where the next meal is coming from or where they're going to sleep, you know, unless they are aspiring to go out and join the homeless in San Francisco. Our reality is going to have to hit some point or other and, and when it does. And when it does they're going to realize more and more why people are conservative. And it is because, you know, the traditional values that have been taught since, you know, the Bible and probably before then um, have root in human character, human nature, and how things can and should work. And if you don't follow these <clears throat> fundamental rules, you know, you get um, 1,000 forms of gender, all of which are equal, moral <laughs> relativism. Right, right. All these yeah, pronouns. You get, you get Nadler. You get change the language. You you tear down historical statues. I mean, all these right. things are just insane. You know, these are not the things we should be being worried about when we've got a 
trillion dollars new deficit every year. Without a doubt, without a doubt, man. And we could probably have this conversation forever. And obviously, you are welcome back anytime if you want to promote a book. His latest book, ladies and gentlemen, is Coup d'État: Exposing Deep State and Treason. That's coming out. That's coming out hopefully in December. Oh, okay. It's being sold on. It's being sold right now on Amazon and, and Barnes and Nobles, and it's doing pretty well in pre-sales. But it will. Uh, it, I've edited it. It's now going through the final edits and the printing and the shipping to the stores it'll take until about december to get it on the bookshelves well be on the lookout for it ladies and gentlemen and again thank you so very much for your time and i appreciate the dialogue sir any disagreement we may have perceived otherwise i so appreciate what you do and it is so very important that we have more of these exchanges of ideas and dialogue and conversation and um and how else can people find you on social media doctor uh corsination.com and i'm going to be i've begun doing some more live streaming and podcasting and i'm going to be doing more on corsination.com well you okay. should you have a very very keen insight like you said you've, you've you've been around the game for a minute and you you know all the players and uh again appreciate your work sir and continued success okay Great god bless you. thank you very much ladies and gentlemen dr jerome corsi with us today peace and so much love stay tuned there'll always be more